It's Matthew chapter 6 and verses 9 to 13. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. Give us our food for today and forgive us our sins just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Sarah. Freddie, should we just uh, pray together? Thank you, Dave, as well. Lord Jesus, thank you that you always speak uh, through your words. And we pray as we look at this phrase, our daily bread, uh, that you would open up um, this powerful truth to us again in fresh ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good. Can I just uh, welcome you as well? Echo Sarah's welcome. It's fantastic to see you all here. And I'm um, looking all very well and healthy. And um, yeah, brilliant to see you. And if it's your first time in particular, welcome to you. And if you um, like what you see you want to know a bit more about us, a really easy way of doing that is um, giving me your, bank de- uh, your, email addre- uh, is your email address and uh, you'll get on our weekly email news. And that's a really quick and easy way of keeping up to speed on all things Top Church. We're on a bit of a journey here, learning to be Anglican. Uh, we're a new Anglican church, which is why we chose to meet in here during our building restoration, because all Anglican buildings are what? Cold. Yes, exactly. So it's all part of our formation, So, um, but apart from ours, is lovely warm. So, um, And the, hopefully the builders are um, going to keep to um, their word and uh, finish our building work uh, a few months later than planned. But anyway, so that's uh, all happening. So, uh, but I do uh, welcome you. Also, just to say, there's a few a little kind of salt mine gang here, and uh, I recognise a few here that they're actors and actresses and all sorts of people. And David as well from Searchlight Theatre. Um, and I know very soon you will all be performing around the country, taking pantomimes and things, won't you? Uh, and so um, we will be praying for them as they, we won't see them for much of December. And during that month of December, if there's a little bit of you just thinking, just, I really miss them. 
just, you know, they're just, they're great, they're fun, they've got energy, and you're thinking, how can I just glimpse them? Well, I've answered your question. Isn't that amazing? So in January, the first Sunday in January, we have, uh, we're not going to have a service, we're going to have a Salt Mine Theatre company. It will be... Oh, look at that. Oh, oh Shirley, you're brilliant. So they, it, it's called Hark, and it, it'll be one of our, the really early event to welcome those people into our building, into our reopening. So uh, do bear that in mind. Right. So as you know, as a church, we're not afraid to tackle difficult issues. You know, we try and do that. We've we kind of try and look at all the difficult, challenging issues that Christians have faced. But I'm going to open up one right now, which I think is probably one of the biggest challenges and, and biggest awkward conversations that the church has, particularly this time of year. Not only church, I think this issue sometimes splits and divides families. And some of you families, might, if you're part of a family, might be going through this massive challenge at the moment. And it's simply this when you put up your Christmas tree. And that is, and when you start putting on the carols. So, um, anybody here enjoy the Christmas season? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, admit it, admit it. You did Camilla, like, straight up there. Okay, so um, some of you will be, you'll be too young for this, uh, Salt Miners. But back when I was younger, there was a TV series called Gavin and Stacey. You remember that? Some of you will remember it. It was, it was years ago. And um, Gavin and Stacey, they had a great Christmas special. Now, the good news is, those who love uh, Gavin and Stacey, they, you will know that Gavin and Stacey have got back together again and are making a Christmas special. In fact, they've made it. Did you know? It's very exciting. So if you've watched Gavin and Stacey, there's one bit when there's a vicar. And the vicar starts off his sermon by asking everybody, what's their favorite sandwich? Can you remember? remember anyone remember that? Nobody here remembers that episode. You remember it. Come on. That's it. Thank you, Shan. And uh, it's a great episode. So to get us thinking about our daily bread, turn to your neighbor, if you can bear it, for a few seconds What's your dream sandwich, okay? You can include anything in you want in your sandwich. The type of bread, the type of filling, the type of butter or mayonnaise. Dream sandwich, as quick as you can, and then we'll delve into the subject. Okay, let's uh, bring these key theological conversations to a close. Uh, anybody want to shout out their favourite sandwich? One at a time. Coronation chicken. Coronation chicken. Turkey sandwich. Very Christmassy, Shirley. Anyone? Uh... Oh, that's a vegetarian's dream right there. That is, yeah. It's popular in the front row. A bacon. A bacon sandwich. Oh, 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 Rachel's upped it a bit. Bacon brie, right. Any advance on bacon brie? Clint Hill bacon sandwich. Not that I had things, I'm a vegetarian, but not on a Friday. So, uh, anybody, anybody else, anybody else? Peanut butter, yeah. Oh, that went down well. Okay, no, no one else. Come on, Shane. Cheese and bread. Cheese and... 
and brake fluid. Absolutely, yeah. He's not kidding. <laughs> they, it is lovely in, a, in its own way. So, uh, so we are, we're looking at this phrase today, um, our daily bread. Just for a few minutes, our daily bread. And if you remember, we began the Lord's Prayer by looking at how uh, the phrase, our Father, remember back in the day a few weeks ago, um, was personal, it was political, and it was something else, wasn't it? Inclusive. I couldn't remember what it was. It was personal, political, and inclusive. And so what I want to do today is use those three headings um, to explore how those themes run through this phrase, our daily bread, our daily bread. And we're going to do that through the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to refer a little bit to the reading that Beth gave us on Jesus feeding um, the 5,000. So Tom Wright says this. Next slide, I think it's there. Should be there. He says this. We find the true depth of this peti- petition by going back once more to the life of Jesus himself. So in other words, what Tom is saying here, what all scholars say, is to understand the Lord's Prayer or the Kingdom's Prayer, however we want to call it, the Disciples' Prayer. To really understand it, we have to go back to the life of Jesus. So Jesus didn't teach his prayer in isolation. It wasn't like the disciples weren't praying already. They were Jews. They would pray regularly. But it was like when Jesus taught that prayer, what he was trying to do is is sum up his mission. Rowan Williams, who used to lead a church called the Church of England, he said this. He said, if I had to sum up the Christian faith as quickly as possible, I would do it by writing out the Lord's Prayer. He said, if I had to sum it up, that's what the Christian life is all about. I'd sum it up as the Lord's Prayer. It's brilliant though, isn't it? Because it doesn't, you can read the Lord's Prayer and you don't have to invite Jesus into your life. It doesn't mention the Lord. It doesn't mention uh, church. It doesn't mention all the things that normally we associate with church or the Holy Spirit. But if you have to sum it up, it's all in the Lord's Prayer, says Rowan Williams. And we can't disagree with Rowan. So there's something about the prayer that sums up that faith. But also we have to go back to say, how did Jesus understand this prayer. And that's when we're going to explore this little phrase, our daily bread, in a little bit more detail. Um, can you remember that Sarah brought to us a few weeks ago when we looked at Jesus and the table and Jesus and food? That, that one of the phrases that the Son of Man came, can you remember the Son came drinking and eating? That's right. Son of Man, that's Jesus, came eating and drinking. And it was said of also of Jesus that he was a glutton and a drunkard. There you go, it's a compliment, isn't it? So it's said of Jesus, he's a drunken and a, glut, a glutton. I can't even say it. And anybody know, top of your head, and there is a theological student in this room, so I'm not going to embarrass him, but he, should, he might know the answer at the back there next, next to Dave. So um, uh, does anybody know, uh, he's in training, talk to him now, and uh, does anybody know the fr- where that phrase comes from? That phrase comes from the glutton. I only found out today when I looked it up, so there I'm not like a walking Wikipedia. Does anybody know? Any guesses? Any guesses? Does someone say Deuteronomy 21? Was that what they... Absolutely spot on whoever said that. It's Deuteronomy 21. And the context is this. In Deuteronomy 21, when a son had been... Uh, literally, you can look it up. When a son had been rebellious or naughty, and the naughty corner hadn't worked, and they brought um, the son into the, and they've done something really bad. They brought him to the community, and you would say about your son, he is a glutton and a drunkard. Okay, it's like a kind, it's a real having a go at this person. So when they say about Jesus, he's a drunken and a glutton, it's not like they're just saying, oh, he hangs out with the wrong people, he's a very naughty boy. They are like, it's like a big insult. I think back in my day, I was trying to think, well, I grew up in London, what, you know, what the words were we used to insult people, but perhaps wouldn't so be appropriate for this context. But it was, it was, you know, there were certain words, if you were called that, 
then you know you were you were you know you were bad. You weren't you weren't in in the good books, as it were. It's a little bit like that. That if you were called a drunken and gutted, it was it was a well-known phrase. You know that whole thing of when the Sophie Ridge asked Boris Johnson, "What's the naughtiest thing you've ever done?" You know, and we all know really that what she's trying to do is compare him to who knows with Boris, uh, compare him uh, to Theresa May. You know, you know it, ha- it it meant something to him, and it meant something to us. We know what she was trying to do when they're calling Jesus that he came drinking, he was a glutton and a drunkard. They were basically saying he's a really naughty boy. But more than that, more than that, if you back in Deuteronomy 21, you were called a drunken and a glutton, and you were being a rebellious son to your mother and father. Sadly, my uh, kids are downstairs; they won't hear this. But actually the consequence would be pretty bad. You would get stoned. That's nothing to do with smoking. That's to, that's to do with rocks. You would get, some of you are wishing, oh, that's not bad. Uh, the, you would get, you would get, you'd get stoned. You'd get killed. It was, all, it was, so when they're saying that about Jesus, they're saying, we want, he, he should be killed. He should be stoned. It's a real, real insult because he spent so much of his time eating with all the wrong people and drinking with all the wrong people to such a degree that what he was doing somehow was offensive to the kind of the, the Jewish and the Roman culture of the day. It was a massive thing that Jesus was doing. He was being more than just kind of a rebellious son. He was being naughty and he was saying, actually, there's something more here. So when Jesus speaks about our daily bread, the context is that he's, he's saying in the context of his whole life his whole life in ministry. And it means these three things. It it means more than that, but I want to pick up on these things. First one we're going to look at is personal. Thank you, John. Uh, Next slide. You know, there's um, a a particularly funny story, but it's quite a sweet story that my old mentor, uh, Roger Forster, used to tell me of... um, you know, one of the, when you're in the Anglican church, we did it today, one of the great things, we have these amazing prayers that we read out, which are just incredibly written and have so much truth encapsulated in a few sentences it's incredible and um you know this chap in the west country was a vicar and was reading all these great long prayers out which are beautiful and we do that here but the story goes there's a farmer at the back who stood up and said look why don't you just you know shut up call him father and ask for something and you know what he was trying to say is that you, you can say all these long prayers but actually what jesus taught us was go call god father and ask for something ask for something. It's intensely personal, the Lord's Prayer. And our daily bread, when we get to that stage, it's after a few things calling for God to do stuff, we begin to present our needs. And actually, we all have that opportunity and that possibility to ask God for some personal stuff. Not just the big stuff, not just kind of world peace, but actually personal things, the things that we really need, that the desires of our heart and the needs that we have, whether it's financial, whether it's you know, relationships, whether it's our own health or well-being, we can ask God for our daily bread. It's intensely personal. And here's the beautiful thing. There is story after story of what happens in the Bible is simply this, is that someone has a longing and a need, and they feel like God's overlooked them. It's not happening. It's not, the answer's not there. And suddenly, as the years toll by, and they kind of adjust to living with their need, there's a moment when God suddenly answers that prayer. And the way God answers it is that they discover there's something... That the way he answers it is that the answer is part of something far bigger and more amazing than they could ever imagine or dream of. We've got Advent kicking off uh, in a couple of weeks. And John the Baptist's father is called... I'm having a dyslexic moment, begins with a Z. 
Zachariah, and um, not Zacchaeus, it's the other chap, isn't it? Zachariah. And they knew, Zachariah and Elizabeth, that they couldn't have kids, that they were too old. They got the, you know, they knew how it all worked even back in their day. And, and they knew that wasn't going to happen. And they'd given up. But when God answered that prayer, it was answered beyond, an, um, it, you know, he was pray- when he was in there praying, he was praying for the salvation of Israel, and suddenly he discovered he was going to have a baby, and that baby was a son who was going to be the forerunner to, to Jesus, the Messiah. When God answered their personal prayer, it was far bigger and broader than they ever dreamt of or imagined. So this afternoon, as we eat and we pray together and we, we hang out together, don't be afraid of asking God for your needs what they actually are, whether it's guidance. And my problem is that I just sort of get so used to solving things in my own life, I kind of forget to pray about them. Do you ever do that, or are you a bit more sort of spiritual? But you just think, well, I deal with that, and I sort that out, and I sort that out, and I sort that out. And I rarely stop to say, actually, God, what, what, this is what I need from you. This is my daily bread. First thing about it is personal. Second thing is political. Political. So here's the really fun thing about the feeding of the 5,000. Well, we call it feeding 5,000. We shouldn't do it. It's just 5,000 men. Um, so it would have been, that's all that was counted. So it would have been um, 10,000 or 12,000. The feeding of thousands of people. Now, here's the thing. I grew up, and I still am very much in my heart, evangelical, meaning that I think stuff in the Bible actually happened, and it's great, and it's dynamic, and all that kind of stuff. So when I come to the feeling of the 5,000, I used to come at it think, well, this is a cool miracle. You know, um, what can we learn from it? Maybe we can do it again. You know, and um, then I've heard stories of people in Hong Kong and other places where they've run out of food at big events and they've prayed and the food's been multiplied. And I think, oh, that's great. And kind of feels like it happens on a Sunday here, doesn't it? You know, but it's just more Kate cooking and Gwen cooking loads. And, uh, you know, and it just kind of multiplies. And then I think, well, we don't seem to see him that much. So maybe the way I deal with that passage is like I'm the little boy, literally. And, um, you know, I bring the little bit I've got to Jesus. You know, we all bring our bit and he takes our lives and multiplies them. And and it doesn't mean he tears them apart. It means he sort of he makes it go a bit further and we do amazing stuff and we have a great spiritual thought, which is brilliant. And that's all great. But here's another interpretation. Imagine this miracle is a parable as well as a miracle. It's telling us something more than just kind of some cool miracle stuff that Jesus did. It's kind of a parable. It's something a bit different. Imagine it's this. Imagine we no longer call it the multiplication of some food. And imagine you're in that area where actually bread is quite hard to to come by at times. There's poverty, there's food banks, as it were, like in our day and age. And imagine what happens if you rename it the multiplication to the redistribution of food. Imagine what happens if you've got someone who's running the country that Jesus is in, whose bread, when when the bread is in their hands, does not go far enough and doesn't feed everybody. But when the bread is in the right hands... When it's in the hands of someone like Jesus, the bread seems to go a long way and the food is redistributed. Imagine if you've got an emperor in those days and there's this kind of lake in the middle, a kind of Lake Galilee, like some people call it a sea, but it's a lake really, a, big, a very big pond. And in that big pond, the emperor suddenly thought, actually there's loads of fish in there and I'm going to claim all those fish of my own. Imagine this Jesus coming along and actually starting to say, actually these fish are mine and he's directing who catches the fish and how much. Now, if you're living in those days, that's more than a miracle. That's a direct challenge to the emperor. That's highly political. You're saying that actually this bread in the right hands, in hands of love, in hands of divine, divine hands of compassion, 
This is how bread should be distributed so that everybody has enough and then there's some left over. When Jesus was feeding the 5,000, when we're asking for our daily bread, it's not just a cute, quaint miracle that somehow we can never replicate, or it's not just kind of an interesting thought that if we give our lives to Jesus, he kind of makes it all go a bit further. Those things are all helpful and true. But what happens if it's a little bit more political? What happens if it's Jesus saying, this is how food ought to be distributed? Everybody should have enough, and there's enough for everybody, and everybody should have enough enough. One commentator wrote this, it's not just about food, it's about just food. Do you see that? It's not just about food, it's about just food. Justice, just food. And maybe in this day and age, and maybe about who we vote for and what we're thinking about these things, maybe there's something about rediscovering this political dynamic of Jesus. And I mean political, I don't mean party, I mean as in Love is expressed through social relationships, the kind of social aspect, the compassion side of Jesus. How do we work that out in this day and age? Jesus wasn't just multiplying food. He was doing that, but I think he was doing far more. He was redistributing, and I think he was showing the powers that be, this is how food should be shared. It's very powerful. It's political. It's not just multiplication. It was the redistribution. Did you notice, though, in that story when Beth read it, there's a little bit of a kind of to-do between Jesus and his disciples. They were expecting Jesus to do everything. Jesus was expecting them to do something. So <laughs> it sounds like working my kids out. <laughs> Just, <laughs> you can make your own squash. And uh, you're 16. And uh, <laughs> I didn't, that's not true for Iron at all. Um, uh, he's very good with squash. Anyway, I'll shut up quickly because they're older now. I can't do stories about them. Um, uh, where was I, Sarah? Can you remember? <laughs> Doing well for your eye on me. The, uh, uh, that's it, collaboration. That was it. That's what you were saying. Uh, but have you noticed actually what Jesus wants to get them to work together? Get them to work together. Jesus and the disciples all working together. And sometimes there's a bit of us when we pray for our daily bread, we just expect God to do everything and we do nothing. Sometimes we fall into a trap of we doing everything and God does nothing because he seems to sort of be asleep. But actually, what that says is the redistribution of food means all of us working together with Jesus for his just and beautiful society, his kingdom that he's trying to bring on earth. And last but not least, uh, it is inclusive. Remember how we're saying that everything has a kind of bigger reference point in the Bible. And one of the stories in the Bible about bread uh, or provision, our daily bread, was in, uh, back in the day when the Israelites were in the wilderness. Do you know that story? They're in there pottering around for 40 years, as you do in the wilderness. They get a little bit peckish. They pray for some food. And every day they get manna from heaven. You're familiar with that story, manna? And manna literally means, what is this? You know, so some, you know, there's a great preach there, isn't there? Sometimes blessings, you say, what is this? And you discover it's a blessing and you didn't realize you're... That person was going to be that. Anyway, or something like that. So there's lots of kind of stories in there. Um, but here's, here's, that's the kind of background that everybody has enough. So it's an inclusive prayer of praying that everybody has enough food. It's not just my daily bread. It's our daily bread. And the more we pray for that, the more we will live that out as a church. And the more we will live that out as individuals. We move towards hospitality. We move towards generosity because we're being in line with the prayer of Jesus. We become the answers to that prayer as we live it. There's another way of looking at that, though, as well. as Just as I close and we, just, we will just say the creed and pray together before we finish some worship and some soup. Um, is this... I don't know about you. You ever wondered when you're at a communion, you only get a little bit of bread? 
You ever kind of thought, what's going on there with that little bit of bread? I'd like a little bit more, please. And uh, then you think, we'll have a bit more, and then the queue gets a bit longer, and it all gets a bit awkward, doesn't it? And that's partly why we always try and eat together as much as we can, because we're, actually we think that's, in one sense, a reflection of communion. But some people say, some scholars say, the only reason, the reason we get a little bit of bread is because we remember that actually through having a bit of bread, that our prayer is to go on and asking for more bread. And not just for ourselves, for those thousands and thousands of people who don't have enough bread. So the actual, in a way, having a small piece of bread is an act of solid solidarity. I can't say that word. You know the word I mean. You know the word, you know, standing with others who actually are hungry and do need more. And by saying our daily bread as we time we share communion, some of it could be that new kind of political liberation theologies, by having a bit, we're standing with those who actually still are hungry. And we're saying, Lord, we want our daily bread our daily bread. Let's pray together and then we'll share the creed together and we're going to by finish together by saying the Lord's Prayer over a few minutes. Lord God, we recognize this so much in that simple phrase, our daily bread. We come before you with our own personal wants and needs and desires. Help us to keep asking and not to feel embarrassed, not to try and solve it all ourselves. Help us to remember this is personal for us and for you and you want to hear our needs. Help us all to understand what it means for it to be political in the broadest sense of the term. To work towards a just society when everybody has enough bread and there's more than enough to go round. Help us in our bit of the world here to be the hosts we need to be to keep redistribution, redistributing the bits of bread that we have to share with others. And Lord, we long for a day when this prayer is answered, whether that be physically the need for more bread for some people, or whether it just be perhaps in this area, the need for jobs, the need for well-being, for stable relationships. Whatever is in our daily bread, we pray that, not just for us, but for the people of this area. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.